Last week, we began our study in this book of Proverbs by defining wisdom as God's truth lived and and learned and lived out in the myriad of everyday life situations that we face. Wisdom is having insight into uh, how things really are. It's having discretion and discernment to know how to respond according to what God has revealed and, and what we know to be true in him. Wisdom is not the same as knowledge, although knowledge uh, often is certainly an element of wisdom. Wisdom is not the, not the same as simply obeying a set of moral standards, though morality is key to wisdom. But wisdom is the ability to make good decisions in line with who God has revealed himself to be and what he has revealed to us in line with his truth. Most decisions in life aren't simply a matter of is this right or is this wrong, but many are just simply matters of is this wise, is this wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is wisdom literature that gives us general guidelines, it gives us practical principles to instruct us, to help us understand and point us in the way of wisdom. As we said last week, it's, it's like a compass that orients our hearts towards God, who is the source of true wisdom. And it gives us advice and insight into, into how to approach life and navigate the, the many various pathways and, and journeys that God takes us on in the way of wisdom, in a wise and godly way. And the first several chapters of Proverbs are presented as instructions of a father to a son. Parents, and particularly fathers, stand in the God-given role of teaching and instructing their children in wisdom. And here we find Solomon, a, a wise father, doing just that. But what if you grew up without a father or without a mother to instruct you? Or perhaps, as is more common, maybe your dad or mom were not very wise themselves. And now you, perhaps just living your life or maybe even with your own children, may not necessarily feel equipped for the task of of receiving or even instructing others in wisdom. Remember Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, with the knowledge of the Holy One, of God himself. So even in the absence of wise earthly parents, a relationship with our heavenly Father, the one from whom true wisdom ultimately comes, is what we all need in order to understand and to live according to the wisdom which he has for us. And thus, you can hear these words. We can hear these words from from Solomon in Proverbs, these words of a father to a son. We can hear them as instructive wisdom from God, our heavenly father, to us, to you. And Proverbs 3 brings us the third of these instructive lessons from a father to his son. The first one was found in chapter 1. We haven't looked at these, but, but there uh, it, it serves as a stern warning of the danger of turning away from wisdom, of following the seduction and the enticement of sinners, and introduces the way of the fool that leads to death and destruction. And then the second one comes in chapter 2 and counters that by highlighting the value and the blessing that come in, in pursuing wisdom, in seeking understanding, in humbling ourselves 
before God's ways. And the, the blessing that comes, uh, that leads to deliverance and to delight as we do so. And chapter 3 continues that, that line of thinking, but, but it lays out more specifically some, some significant steps in, to take along the path of wisdom. We enjoy hiking. Kathy and I enjoy hiking. And last summer on our sabbatical, we hiked this narrow peak along the Pacific Coast Highway. And we were up on this, this long, narrow path. And we got to the end. And the only way down was, was literally a, a, a steep, almost vertical descent along this pathway strewn with, uh, with loose rocks and gravel that had, that had fallen down from the mountain. And as we started down, I found myself every, uh, several times putting my foot down on what I thought was sure footing and then finding myself sliding on my bottom with rocks tumbling down in front of me, wondering if I was going to wind up in a heap uh, of a rock pile at the bottom of the, of the mountain. And as we, we made our way down very cautiously, we began to look for larger rocks that, that you could tell were kind of embedded in the in the ground, or maybe maybe the base of trees or roots that were that were uh, growing out of the ground, somewhere to place our foot to find feet to find sure footing, needed to proceed safely down that path. And and as I would go first, I'd turn around and tell Kathy, step step here or or go over this way. Proverbs three gives us several key principles for finding what I've called sure footing on wisdom's path. And we see that later in the chapter, down in verse 21, God says, keep sound, the, 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 the writer says, keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. Verse 26, the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. The principles that God gives us here and in this book and throughout his word are kind of, of like footholds that will help us stand firmly and walk securely on life's journey. And they are, in a way, an outline for the rest of the book. And so there are five of these in these opening verses of Proverbs that I want to I look at uh, this morning. And, and like much of Proverbs, they're given to us in the form of an imperative or a command followed by a general outcome or an expected blessing when those commands or instructions are obeyed. And the first, first thing we see here is you find sure footing on wisdom's path by listening to and keeping God's word. By listening to and keeping God's word. Verse 1 and 2 says, My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. As a father of, of four boys, my prayer for them from the day they were born even to this day is that they would live long, peaceful, joyful lives walking with the Lord according to his wisdom and truth. And when they were young, our, my primary role, our primary role as their parents were to, was to teach them, to instruct them in God's word, pointing them to Jesus, helping them understand him as the source of truth, helping them know and grasp that truth. But as they got older and even now that they are grown, that role has changed. It's changed from, from primarily instructing and teaching to reminding, 
to advising, to just help give, give guidance. From showing them what to do or how to do it to helping them remember what they already know and, and to make wise decisions based on that. And it's not just our, our children that need reminding. We all need that as well. In a world that's clamoring with information and instructions. A place where what you've seen or what you've heard or what you've read the day before is quickly replaced by new information and, and a new source or a new voice coming the next day. It's so easy to forget or even to stop listening to the things that we know are true. And that's why throughout Proverbs, wisdom is portrayed as one crying out in the streets, listen to me, heed my words, don't forget my teaching. There are so many voices calling out, there's so much information flowing, and because we live in a culture of, of so many choices, so many ways we can, we can go, it's easy to forget or even just to forsake what we know to be true and right. And what makes it harder is God's teaching and his instruction his, and his commands often go against the, the enticing but errant wisdom and ways of the world. I read an article yesterday about Seattle Pacific University's recent recent controversy where the, the pressure of some students and, and faculty on this small Christian school's board of directors to just do away with, with the biblical standards of sexuality and sexual behavior for its faculty has, has created such a conflict that the future of the school's very viability is threatened. And what is more, the appeal to to the protesters, to those who are calling for this abandonment of these biblical principles, is to the compassion and to the inclusivity of Jesus Christ, who accepts and receives sinners. And brothers and sisters, that is true. Jesus does accept and receive sinners. The compassion and the inclusivity of Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God, is indeed for any and all who will come. But who in coming will listen and heed his word and his commands. It is a call to not just, just come, but to follow him. To find in him a life and receive life. But it's not a life of being free from the instructions and commandments of God's word. It is a life that, that comes in being set free by those commandments and those instructions to know and follow the truth for which we were designed and which God desires for us. True wisdom is not redefining as good or, or taking pride in that which is clearly counter to God's good design and clear instructions. That is, is what Proverbs calls foolishness. But it takes wisdom to stand firm on what is clearly true and right in an area like gender and sexuality and yet to know how to and when to engage with real people who are wrestling with these issues and to do so with the compassion and the hope of Jesus Christ. 
But it's not just on university campuses and it's not just in this particular area of sexuality that we encounter a culture seeking to, to discredit or to deconstruct the, the, the wisdom and the instruction of God's word. We face this, this siren call of lady folly every day in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in our politics, in our entertainment, in our homes, even in some of our churches. If we're honest, we, we can easily find ourselves forgetting or even forsaking God's commands and, and instructions and his wisdom and doing it in the name of what we believe is right or righteous. Brothers and sisters, it's not wise to be a modern Pharisee. To get so caught up in, in keeping the law and, and an outward display of righteousness that we forget God's call to compassion and mercy and love. To be so, so intent on, on portraying this outward display of, of goodness while being eaten up inside by anger or hatred or greed or envy or self-righteousness. Wisdom calls out and welcomes in sinners, including you and me, to find life and truth and hope. And Jesus, the wise son, came listening to and heeding the teaching of the commands of his father. He did not give in to the, the temptation of Satan or the wisdom of the world that, that promised life and prosperity and peace in ways that would, would compromise God's will and his way. But he knew eternal life, true prosperity and peace come in trusting God and his word. And so when we listen to the truth of God's word, to the advice and wisdom of those who are guided by that truth, when we look to Jesus as the living word, then we are on the pathway of a long, productive, peaceful life. Not necessarily always in this world, but certainly in the, the world to come and the life, the eternal life that God promises. Now, in order to not forget God's word, you have to know God's word. And so in order to heed Wisdom, you have to understand what God says. And so a sure footing on wisdom path, wisdom's path means intentionally and proactively putting time into reading and hearing and listening and meditating on God's instruction and commands that we might live wisely according to it, that we might live for our king in the way he's called us to live. And so you find sure footing on wisdom's path by, by listening to and heeding God's word. And secondly, you find sure footing on wisdom's path by being rooted and living in God's love. Verse three, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The Hebrew word here are the same ones used to describe God's unconditional love, his, his unchanging mercy and faithfulness to his people. And here we're told to, to literally adorn ourselves, to be, to be yoked to, to etch in the very fabric of our being, to have our lives rooted and growing and governed by the reality of God's steadfast love and unchanging faithfulness. I think it's interesting as we go through these, these footholds, each one addresses a deep desire, a deep need that we all have. 
that we all, that we all want as God's, those created in God's images. image. We all want truth. And it's found in God's instructions, his word. We all have a deep need to be loved and accepted, to be wanted. We want people to like us. We are drawn to relationships where we think we will find that kind of, of love and acceptance. But unfortunately, in most relationships, that love and that acceptance comes with strings attached. It comes with strings attached. We have to bring something to the table. And so we spend a great deal of energy and time trying to, to, to make ourselves likable and lovable to others, to, 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 to please others, to earn their love. And when we fail, we become dejected and depressed. Or like, likewise, we often love others for what they bring to us. And when they fail or fall short of, in some way of our expectations, we just cast them off and say, you are no longer useful to me. But God's love is not rooted in any other condition but that he loves us. He loves us. And his love is demonstrated in the, in the sacrifice he made for us in Jesus Christ. Christ's death on the cross for sin removes all barriers. It meets all conditions of God's love in such a way that now his grace and his mercy, his steadfast love are, are poured out upon us, poured into us and into our hearts. And we are accepted. We are adopted <laughs> We are loved by our Heavenly Father. And nowhere else, nowhere else in this world will you find that kind of love and acceptance and that kind of faithfulness. But because our world functions on conditional love and acceptance, it's easy to forget God's love for us. Or it's easy to view God's love for us as conditional or as needing something from me or demanding something from him. And it's easy to forsake God's love, to chase the, the loves that the world promises. And wisdom comes when we are, are constantly rooted in and remind ourselves of God's love for us. When, when we bind his steadfast love and mercy around our necks and write it on our hearts, have it written on our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Such that from the moment we rise in the morning to the time we lay down at night, our, our, we are guarded and guided by God's great love for us. And wisdom means living in light of that good news of Jesus, whose steadfast love and faithfulness endures forever. And so when we cling to, when we, when we rest in God's love for us, that, that also overflows in us and from us in love for others. And our life will reflect that love to those around us. And as a result, in general, we see we'll find favor and good success in the sight of God as well as those around us. When your life exudes the love and grace of God, in general, people will be drawn to you. And they will want to know where that comes from, which gives us the opportunity to herald that good news to them. So sure footing on the path of wisdom comes in being rooted and living and growing in the love of God. Thirdly, you find sure footing on wisdom's path by trusting in God and not yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn from evil. In order to to listen and submit to God's truth, to be rooted in God's love, there enters into life an element of trust, of faith, of believing in our hearts that God not only knows better than we do, but he also loves us such that he has our best interest in mind. (laughs) He not only knows what we need, but he knows what is good for us. And that trust means being willing to follow his way even when that way doesn't look promising or even when we can't see what lies ahead or even when we don't understand why he would call us to that. And what that boils down to is humility. It's a willingness to admit that we don't always know the answer, that we are dependent on God for the outcome. I remember one time driving up on the mountain near Chattanooga, Lookout Mountain, and It was the worst fog I'd ever been in. I mean, it was, you could not see beyond just the reflection of your headlights on the road. And we were on this curvy road and we had to get back to the place we were staying and and, and we're driving along, kind of creeping along at about 30 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, we'll be here all night. But I wanted to go faster so I could get there. The only thing you could see by was the little reflectors in the center lane of the road. And as we drove down that road, I just, I realized I have got to keep my eyes on that next reflector, just the next reflector, the next one that comes. I had no idea what was coming up around the next turn or around the next corner, but I had to trust those reflectors in the middle of the road to guide me. And indeed, they showed the way. A huge part of walking the path of wisdom is to trust God and not ourselves. When you're out of a job and the bills are piling up and you have no idea how you're going to make that next payment and you're tempted to fudge a little bit on your tax return or to do something in your job that would boost, make a little more income, That decision comes down to, will I trust God in his ways or will I lean on my own understanding? When you've got a big paper due in your class, those of you who are in school, or you have a big assignment coming, you know you'll get a better grade if you can can just cut or paste a few paragraphs from some other source or you can call up chat GPT and ask it the question. The question is really, do I trust God in his ways? Or am I going to lean on my own understanding? When you find yourself with an unexpected illness or, or wrestling with a, with, with a difficult situation or your own sin or, or whatever it may be, or you're dealing with a crisis in your family or at work or in your own heart, and you think it would be better just to escape it, just to end it all, you face this question. Will I trust God with all my heart? Or am I going to lean on my own understanding, my own feeling, my own sense? That's not easy. (laughs) Anna Margaret did a much better job up here on the stage than most of us do in those situations. Faith of a little child. 
Faith is not only believing something to be true, but it's entrusting yourself and your life to that truth. And if you believe that you are sovereign over your own life, that your destiny is in your own hands, that you have the ability to control the way things go, then you will lean on your own understanding and your own abilities. But what happens when you're wrong? What happens when you fail? What happens when something or someone beyond your control enters into the picture and messes it all up? You either take it out on yourself in disappointment and despair. Or you take it out on others in anger and blame. But if you believe and you know God is sovereign, that your destiny is in his hands, that he has the ability and the desire to control how things go, and that he is for you and not against you, then you can acknowledge, you can trust his sovereign grace and goodness. You can rest assured that his will and his way are indeed good. And we're told that he will lead you on a straight path. Might not be the straight path you thought you were going on, but it is a path that will get you where he wants you to be and wants you to go. You don't have to live filled with anxiety and stress and pressure to perform and and fix things yourself. Do we still have to work? Do we still have to act and make plans and, and decisions and seek understanding? Yes, but we acknowledge and we pray like Jesus did. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And we can rest that his will is best. And so we find sure footing on wisdom's path by trusting God and not ourselves. And fourthly, we find sure footing on wisdom's path by being generous with all that we have. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce and your barns will be filled with plenty. As we'll see later on in our study, Proverbs has a great deal to say about money and wealth and prosperity Sure footing on the path of wisdom involves how we use the things we have. And it begins with seeing all of our possessions as gifts from God and seeking to steward those gifts to honor him. This this principle spoken of here of, of first fruits or as we sometimes think about it, the tithe belonging to the Lord, being being giving back to the Lord a portion of that with which he has, he has blessed us, the fruit that he has given into our lives. In the Old Testament, that was brought to the temple. It served to support the, the, the work of the priests and the, meet the needs of the poor. In the New Testament, that principle continues on as the, as the church is, is seen bringing offerings to assist those in need and, and support the spread of the gospel. And we see repeatedly in God's word that that where his people fail to do this, it doesn't result in them having more or, or life actually being better, but it often leads to them having less and things going poorly. Indeed, over in Malachi, God challenges his people who he says are robbing him. He says, bring in the full tithe, bring in the offerings and test me to see if I will not pour out from heaven blessings beyond what you can imagine so that there's more, no more need. And that's echoed here as well. Honor the Lord with the first fruits and your barns and vats will be filled. Now let me be clear. This is not a prosperity gospel. 
This is not saying the more you give, the more you will get, one-to-one or five-to-one or whatever it is. But it is a gospel of prosperity that says God will meet every need you have. He will prosper you in life because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he will take care of his own. Wisdom comes and recognizes that all we have is a gift of God. And Jesus puts it this way. Where our our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. How we respond in times of plenty. How we respond with the wealth that God gives when things are going well reflects what we truly love. If we're like the, the the wealthy man in Jesus' parable that builds bigger and bigger barns and and, and to store up his stuff and provide for himself, then we will be shocked and we will be devastated when suddenly it is gone or worse yet, we are gone before we can enjoy it. Jesus says, that is foolish. But if we see our wealth, our possessions as gifts and provision of God, then we do, and that we do not have to be anxious about what we have or, or how God will provide for us. We can use that to serve God, to, to serve others. And God says, you can rest assured, I will meet your needs. Your barns will not be empty. In fact, they'll be full in a way that maybe you don't expect. But more than just an encouragement to tithing or giving, to God's work is the principle of overall principle of generosity here. God loves a generous heart. And not just with money, but with time and talents as well. When our hearts are focused on or, or, or more concerned with things like, like mercy and justice and meeting needs in love than we are about our own bank accounts or our own futures, we will make wise decisions that will be blessed by God. And friends, the best investments you can make are eternal investments. That means holding the things of this world loosely, using them to glorify God and minister to others. And boys and girls who are here, young people, let me encourage you to begin early this practice of giving. This is why your parents say, share your toys. (laughs) It really works. Kids, when you get to college, get involved in a church And from the very beginning, get involved in giving, both of your finances as well as your time and service. Look for ways we can be generous with those around us. And I guarantee you, you will see God's hand of provision in your life in amazing ways. Well, lastly, number five, you find sure footing on wisdom's path by accepting and growing through suffering. And this fifth principle is probably the hardest of all. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves the one he loves. As a father, the son in whom he delights. Any of us who are parents know that it's no fun to discipline your children. Or to allow them to suffer hard things in life. It's heartbreaking. It hurts. In fact, too many of us out of what we believe is love, seek to protect our children from anything hard or from the difficult consequences of their actions. But often in the process of sparing them or even ourselves being spared 
suffering or discipline, we are not actually being loved. Proverbs 13, 24 says, we, we truly love our children by disciplining them and allowing them to go through the hard lessons that come from sometimes unwise choices. And as a loving father, God does the same thing. <laughs> he doesn't shield his children from hardship. Rather, he uses those trials, that suffering, those hard consequences of sin, he uses them as a means by which of, he refines us and grows us in our wisdom and in our faith and in our, our, our trust in him. Life in a broken world is filled with hardship. We are promised in God's word by Jesus himself that in this world we will have trouble. <laughs> we will face trials. <clears throat> and facing them from God's perspective and leaning on his grace and mercy in the midst, he also says we will come through those trials stronger, wiser, more aware of our need for God and his grace and his love for us even in difficult times. Nobody delights in going through suffering or experiencing great trials. Jesus himself prayed that, that if it, there were any other way but the cross, Lord, if there's any, any other way, please remove this cup from me. And yet it was God's will for him to suffer for our sake. And he did not despise it. He willingly embraced it knowing that he was God's son and his father's love would not ultimately forsake him. And because Jesus endured the punishment for our sin on the cross, we can rest assured, we can know that our sufferings, the trials we encounter, the things we face in this life are not the wrath of God's punishment, but the love of God's disciplining hand in our lives. Yes, at times they're meant to reprove, to correct us from going further down the wrong path. At times they are meant to, to strengthen and refine us by, by knowing that, that, that God is with us and, and will not forsake us in that time. At other times they're meant to humble us so that we will trust and lean on God's sufficient grace in our time of need. But at all times, the discipline of a loving father is good. And it is born out of his love and his delight in us as his children. A love from which no amount of suffering, no amount of hardship, no amount of trials that we will face can separate us in Christ Jesus. And so learning to receive trouble and enter into it with an abiding faith and trust in God's love, it enables us to rejoice and to find peace no matter what the circumstances God uses discipline, correction to guide us along the path of wisdom and how we respond, whether it be in the prosperity of wealth or in the adversity of suffering will make a big difference in whether we stand or fall along that path. And so as we consider these five principles for sure footing in wisdom, listening to and keeping God's word, being rooted and living in God's love, trusting in God's ways, not our own, being generous with what we have and accepting and growing through the suffering and, uh, and, and discipline of the Lord, my mind and our mind should turn to one place, to one person, and that is Jesus Christ. He embodied in his own life 
these fundamental principles of wisdom. He submitted his life to God's word and will. Even when there was the temptations of all the voices calling around him. He knew and was rooted in the love of his heavenly father. He trusted his father's plan and walked in his ways, even when it didn't seem prudent or when it meant trouble. He was generous beyond measure, even giving his own life for those who hated him. And he faced the suffering and trial of the cross, knowing the joy that was on the other side and the loving care of his father. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is wisdom personified. And believing and trusting in him is absolutely essential to not only seeing and understanding these foundational principles, but to living them out in our own lives. The passage goes on to say, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Wisdom is the greatest treasure that we could ever have. It's the greatest blessing we could ever receive. It's the greatest joy we could ever experience. The greatest peace we could ever know. And he says here in verse 18, she is the tree of life to those who lay hold of her. You know, the punishment for sin, for the first sin, was to be alienated and banished from the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden. The way to true life, to, in loving fellowship with God, was that for which we were created, was blocked by God because of his wrath against sin. Man did not keep his father's command. He forsook his love. He leaned on his own understanding. He stole the first fruits for himself. He despised and hid from the Lord's reproof. He became a fool. But God does not leave us there. (laughs) He did not leave Adam and Eve there. He does not leave us there. He promised to send one who would redeem and open the way again. And God sent Jesus to bear his wrath for sin, to open again access to true life, to wisdom, to wealth and pleasure and peace that are found only in him. He is the tree of life for all who will lay hold of him. Sure footing on the path of wisdom comes in holding fast to and being held fast by Jesus Christ. Through him and him alone are we now able to truly listen to God's word and hear it and understand it. Are we able to soak in God's love Are we able to be clothed in his righteousness? Are we able to trust in his ways? Only through him and in him are we able to be generous with the things that God gives us and grow through God's discipline. Because Jesus opened the way. Indeed, he is the sure footing. He is the strong foundation on the path of wisdom. And as we walk in him and walk with him, We will lay hold of life as God designed and desired it for us. And we will one day stand around the tree of life in heaven. (laughs) And stand on the sure footing for which he created us and has redeemed us. So lay a hold of true wisdom by laying a hold of Jesus in faith. Let us pray together.
Lord God, there is none of us here who can obey these commandments, who can know these blessings apart from your grace and your love and your truth given to us in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, lay a hold of us that we might lay a hold of you. And in doing so, we might have life. And we might know peace. And we might experience love. And we might walk straight until that day when we stand fully in your presence. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.